pray. God, we've sung these songs this morning, and I know that they have uh, come from a place in our hearts where maybe we are troubled, maybe where we are uncertain, maybe in a place where we find ourselves searching. And God, maybe they've also come from a place where we have just experienced your presence in our lives, and we weren't, uh, we weren't questioning whether you're working. We've seen the miracle of you working. We, we recognize that you are the only one who can do these things in our lives. And so, Father, we thank you so much for the different experiences within this room and within those who are watching online. And we just commit ourselves now this morning again to you, to hear from you. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us. We give you permission. We desire to be provoked, to be challenged, and that we would leave here not just having learned something, not just having connected with people, but that we would continue to have this encounter with you that would go with us wherever we are. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Really quickly, a little bit of house inside work. If you have, I know you're tired of the app by now, okay? Um, but if you have your app with you, and if you want to follow along with the notes, uh, we're making some changes. So now you're going to do that within the church app. And so if you want to take notes, there's two ways that you can do that. Um, one, you can use the fill-in notes. So if you go to the Deer Run Church app, you go to sermons, you click on healthy, and then you'll see healthy siblings. That's, our, that's what we're talking about today. And then you'll see there's notes and fill-in notes, or fill-in notes and notes. And the fill-in notes, you can actually, there's blanks left for those of you that like to fill in your own information. Uh, you can do that. But then you'll also, on both of the notes, you'll see a little blue um, thing on the side on, uh, as you go down the notes. And that allows you just to fill in your own comments if you want. And so feel free to use that. That's what I will be using from now on instead of the Bible app like we have in the past. And so I know some of you are like, what? More change? Um, it's the technology world. You're constantly keeping up. And so, um, but that's, I, I, for those of you, especially that like taking notes, um, this will be a great way for you to um, hopefully not just hear something, but also engage with it. And then if you are logged in, then those notes will stay with you and your account um, forever. And so, uh, well, today we're starting this new series, Healthy. And it's going to be a long series, um, not because I feel that we're so unhealthy, <laughs> but it's a long series, a two-month-long series. And we're going to stay with this series, and we're going to look at multiple different areas in our lives. Um, today we're going to look at siblings. Next week we're going to look at grandparenting. And we're going to you know, go through even health as far as our physical health and finances and all those kind of things. And so I think this is going to be a great series. I would encourage you uh, to share it with people that you are in contact with. But what we want to do in this series is maybe look at some of those areas of our lives that I think we can just take for granted. And the first one that we're going to look at today is, I'm calling it healthy sibling um, or healthy siblings. And I want to just challenge us today as we look at this topic um, to, you know, we often talk about parenting and we often talk about, you know, um, raising children and all those kind of things. But I think that the one topic that I don't know if I've ever actually preached on, and that is the topic of siblings. And my guess is that almost all of us here, there would be maybe the odd person 
um, who doesn't have a sibling. And so if that's you today, sit back and enjoy and feel free to point the finger. But for those of us that have siblings, I'm sure that there's been times in your life (laughs) where maybe you wish you didn't. Or there's been times in your life where you didn't know what to do with them. And they didn't know what to do with you. So I want to tell a quick story. This is a true story about a man named Steve. I believe his last name is Tran. And this takes place, if I am correct, it takes place in 1995. So I'll just tell you the story. The story goes like this, and of course this is written for a sermon illustration, but it is a true story, that Steve was tired of spotting them crawling down the hall while he watched TV. He was tired of the the middle-of-the-night discoveries when he turned on the kitchen lights. He was tired of the rowdy cockroaches playing poker games in the dark corner of his pantries. Steve was fed up, and he wanted revenge. There were stores in Westminster, California, that sold bug bombs. And so Steve decided to time to invest in some. He looked at the back of the package, he calculated his room size or his building size, his apartment size, and realized that he only needed two for his house. But Steve didn't buy just two bug bombs. He had had it with these cockroaches, and he was ready to blow them straight to, well, you know where. So Steve didn't buy two bug bombs like he should have. He bought 25. Yep, Two dozen plus one, just to be safe. It took him some time to set them all up, and one can only imagine the smoke that covered his place as they started going off. The spray of the 25 cockroach bombs in an apartment was very soon overpowering. The air in Steve's place became rich with fuel, and the cockroaches could be heard screaming for miles around. Some suggest it may have been Steve and his neighbors screaming. The thick spray reached the pilot light of the stove, ignited, and created the biggest bug bomb that Westminster, California had ever seen. There are pictures online. Steve's screen door blew clean across the street. Every window, every piece of glass in his house or in his apartment was shattered. His furniture caught fire, and the fire department soaked Steve's smoke-damaged belongings. It would take $10,000 back in 1995 for the apartment complex to be repaired. And, believe it or not, soon after, the cockroaches were back. I think Steve had a cleaning issue, not a bug issue. But anyway, the moral of the story is this says the author of the story. The moral of the story is, if you've got a problem inside your house, be sure you solve the problem without destroying your home. I think that sets us up well for this conversation or this talk on siblings. Sibling rivalries have been blowing up homes for centuries. In the Bible... Some of the most memorable stories that you have read and some of the most memorable stories that you may even remember in Scripture are 
about brothers and sisters who cannot get along. And they go beyond just not getting along. Let me give us a few examples. We don't have time to look at very many, but here's a few. Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 4. Think about this for a moment. First two siblings on earth. There are no other siblings at this point. And one of them ends up killing the other. Cain was jealous because God showed favored favor towards Abel's sacrifices. And so instead of adjusting and being obedient with his sacrifices, Cain decides, I've had it. So he kills his brother, Jacob and Esau. Genesis 25. We're told that these two brothers were fighting one another even as they were being born. Can we just all pause for a moment and say, poor mom. And they kept at it pretty much all their life and caused so much destruction. In connection to that, you have Leah and Rachel. Genesis 29. Now they were put in a bit of an awkward position because, you know, there's this weird situation where they both end up Jacob's wife. But then later on, they have this strange rivalry that we would never understand today about this competition about who can have more children for Jacob, which brings in other people and it, it gets pretty crazy. Then you have Joseph and his brothers, Genesis 37. He annoys his brothers, his older brothers, and so they decide that he annoys them, I should say, beyond just annoying them. He actually says, you're going to bow down to me one day and worship me, and he's quite arrogant about it. And so eventually they decide to just sell him as a slave and then lie to their dad about it. And then we could go on. You have David's city uh, siblings, his children. They are like literally determined to destroy one another. Then you have Ambibalach. Am I can't say this name. Anyway, he, I have it right there in front of me, and it's just, I can't figure it. Anyway, it's gone. I look really, really spiritual here right now. But um, he killed 70 of his brothers. Yeah, I know, some of you are yelling at me. It's not helping, it's not helping. Let's just move on. So here he is, this, this guy, and he's like, I'm just going to destroy, and he kills all of his brothers. So while sibling rivalry in our lives today may be very different, hopefully, I think there are some things that would be the same. You and I, today, we've probably had some moments in our lives where we, too, are pretty frustrated with our brothers and sisters. And when family members do not address conflict, when they do not address this tension between siblings... You can almost see it as these bug bombs being set up. And sooner or later, as they go off, they cause this devastation, sometimes irreparable. One of the clearest examples in the Bible of sibling rivalries and sibling tensions, but also in a positive way of how we can maybe learn from them, is the story of Martha and Mary. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. If you have your app, you can follow along there. Luke chapter 10. And we're going to start at verse 38 and go to all the way to 42. Let me read it to us. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, 
he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home for him, to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, he, the Lord replied, or the Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. One indeed, one indeed only, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. It'd be interesting to do a little survey in the room right now, and you don't need to raise your hands. But how many of you, just in your heart, how many of you think that you are like a Martha? You would be like, yeah, if we're going to have a big guest over, it's important to have everything set up properly. You want to make a good impression. And the last thing you want to do is to not have everything in the room look perfect. For you, hosting well means serving well. Some of you are like Mary. You're like, go get your own coffee. I could care less, you know. Uh, I just want to meet the people. I rather want to engage. I want to, I want to listen. I want to learn. I want to, I want to spend time with this person. Why would I want to run around and do things when, when, there's a, when there's a person in my house, especially if it's, it's a significant person, and you're like, you know what? Kids are screaming. Don't care. Talk to me. What's happening in your life? For you, hosting well means engaging well with the person. So here you have these two very different personalities. Let's look at what is involved then in building healthy sibling relationships by using this experience, this story. And this is not an exhaustive approach, obviously. We're going to look at just four simple things. Clearly, you know, you have good communications. Parenting will play a role, and there are many other things that, that will play a role in having a healthy sibling relationship. But I trust that these four that we want to look at today are going to help you to avoid tensions. And if there are already tensions, they may give you some tools on how to work through some of the tension. So number one, confrontation avoided is a conflict in the making. Confrontation avoided is a conflict in the making. And you might be saying, well, what's the difference between confrontation and conflict? We, we don't have time to really look at that, but there's a significant difference. Usually once a conflict has really started, that confrontation, a healthy confrontation, has not happened, and that's why there is conflict. Mary and Mar uh, Martha had drastically different ideas on what should happen when Jesus came to the home. Martha envisioned that everything was going to be perfect. She was going to use this opportunity to show off the family's ability to host someone, to show off her hospitality skills. And Mary could think of nothing better than to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him teach. In Luke's story, when things don't go as Martha wanted, she becomes angry. She's looking at the situation, and, and instead of provoking hospitality... What Martha does as she's looking at the situation, she actually finds herself in an embarrassing conflict. A third grade Sunday school teacher was teaching on 
the, the, the commandments of honoring thy father and mother. And the teacher asked the students, now, if that's the commandment that we are to have for our father and mother, what do you think is the commandment for brothers and sisters? And one girl quickly raised her hand and said, thou shalt not kill. I think this little kid got it. Luke doesn't tell us the details of the conversations or the interaction behind the scenes between Martha and Mary. And so we're going to make some assumptions. And the assumption is that there wasn't much conversation between these two. Had these two sisters sat down and discussed it, maybe both of them could have found a way to to make the meal ready and to prepare it and to serve. Or maybe they would have said, you know, let's go ask Jesus, what is it that he wants? And maybe Jesus would have even offered them a completely different solution. Maybe Jesus would have been like, don't worry about the food and stuff like that. Just come and listen. Or who knows? But a healthy conversation didn't happen. And instead, the seed of a family conflict was planted. And when Martha felt the stress and the strain of preparing for so many people herself. The conflict was watered. The conflict was fertilized. The conflict was cultivated. And every time she looked over at her sister sitting there with a smile on her face, staring at Jesus, she added more water. She added more fertilizer. And ultimately, it erupted. But Martha... You look at the story, even after she erupted, even after she has this you know, burst of anger, she doesn't actually address her anger or her concern to Mary. It's as if they're not on speaking terms, at least from what we're told. She was angry at her sister, but she doesn't communicate with her sister. The avoidance of confrontation not only made the problem but it also made the problem worse. It didn't solve it. To avoid the confrontation, there wasn't now a solution, or that wasn't the solution. It made the problem much, much worse. Eventually, Martha's refusal to confront Mary resulted in a very unpleasant situation that we're reading about even today. In addition, Martha decided that she was going to punish her sister by going straight to Jesus. And it backfires. And it backfires ugly. One can't but feel sympathy for Martha. She must have thought Jesus is going to see it her way. Clearly Jesus must be a task-oriented person. And so she blurts out to Jesus, tell my my sister, tell her to help. And instead of Jesus agreeing with her, Jesus corrected her. Let's look at verse 41 and 42 again. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. Ouch. Mary, your sister, who you're so upset with, is in the right. And Jesus says, it's not going to be taken away from her. Now, this is the moment where you're like, okay, Luke, so keep talking. What happens? 
Did these sisters reconcile? Did Martha sit down? Did she stomp off? Did Jesus later on and go up and say, hey, by the way, thanks for having all the food prepared? We don't know. But because Martha avoided a direct confrontational conversation with her sister, everyone in the room now suffered. There must have been a strange silence after that rebuke by Jesus. Now, a little plug here, real quick, if those of you that like reading, if you are in a position of authority or if you are ever interacting with people, a book I would highly, highly recommend to you is Crucial Conversations. Uh, this is an excellent book, and so there you go. There's a little plug. Let's keep preaching. So my guess is that some of you here may even feel that Martha's rebuke was not fair. Those of you who are task-oriented people you can't help but look a little sideways at this story. <laughs> I know you do. You're seeing Mar Mary as lazy. She's just sitting there doing nothing, and Martha's, you know, doing everything, and Mary's not pulling her weight. And you wonder maybe, well, does Jesus not have any sympathy for Martha and all the effort that she is making? So this is easy to see a story like this. Many of you here today can relate to, and I'm sure a similar Environment has probably caused tension at times between you and your siblings. But the lesson here is this. To develop healthy sibling relationships, healthy confrontation is required at times. Confrontation seems frightening to many. But here is a key to remember. Confrontation is no more than a conversation about differences. Confrontation is no more than a conversation about differences. And confrontation is a lot more pleasant than conflict. And sadly, differences often turn to conflict because confrontation was avoided too long. So many of us find ourselves, not just with siblings, but with other people as well, we find ourselves in this intense conflict with a person, with a brother or a sister, because we didn't want to have the confrontation. We didn't want to have that conversation. Maybe it's something as simple as, what did you mean by that? And instead of asking what they meant by that, we assume this is what they meant. They assume this is what we meant. And all of a sudden, there's all this tension. So I want to encourage you to build healthy, to have healthy conversations and confrontations with your siblings. Number two, serving is the price of healthy siblings. We need to serve one another. Few conflicts inside a family are the fault of one person. So let's look at it. Maybe, you know, we've looked a lot at Martha. So if Martha's mistake was avoiding confrontation, well, what about Mary? Mary's mistake was placing her own desires ahead of those of her sister. In a sense, you know, she didn't really consider what her sister needed. She didn't seem to take time to understand what was important to her sister. Mary was correct in listening to Jesus. That kind of opportunity only comes around once in a while. Martha was correct in having everything ready. And yet somehow, these two sisters, <clears throat> with their different personalities, were not serving one another. They were competing with one another. So had Mary considered Martha's practical personality she would have certainly helped with the meal. And it's possible that Mary only thought of herself, and if she had decided to help, then 
it would have you know, been two sisters working. But let's take this even further. You see, in this family, there are three siblings. The third sibling is Lazarus. Now, had these siblings sat down and had a conversation, maybe their dear brother Lazarus could have broken the women in the kitchen stereotype and got up and helped a little bit, and now all three could be sitting listening to Jesus. Anyone want to say amen? Yeah. I want to read to you a little write-up that comes from a guy named Fred um, Cadrock. Probably butchering that name as well. So today is not a name day. So let's go on. Um, He says it this way, because I think all of us here have this desire in our hearts. We're going to serve Jesus by giving him everything. Listen to the way he puts it. He says, to give my life for Christ appears glorious. To pour myself out for others, to pay the ultimate price of martyrdom, I'll do it. I'm ready, Lord, to go out in a blaze of glory. We think giving of our Lord, uh, giving all to our Lord is like taking a thousand dollar bill and laying it on the table. Here's my life, Lord. I'm, I'm giving it all. But the reality for most of us is that He sends us out to the bank and He has us cash the thousand dollars in quarters. We go through life putting out 25 cents here and 50 cents there listening to the neighbor kid, going to committee meetings, giving a cup of water to a shaky old man's hand in a nursery home. Usually giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. It would be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It's harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. And I believe for many of us here today, serving our siblings and serving can take on so many forms comes 25 cents at a time. When a brother helps his sister with a chore, talking here about smaller kids maybe, or when a sister passes milk to her brother, serving happens. When an older child brags on a younger sibling, the words will never be forgotten by that younger brother or sister in the praise that they received. Instead of competing against a brother or sister, healthy siblings learn how to compete together. When siblings serve one another, they develop healthy relationships. And serving also comes in words. Something our family started years ago, thanks to my wife, is what we call appreciation circles. And we simply sit in a circle as a family and, and everyone takes turns sharing amongst each other what we appreciate about each other. And if I can have a proud dad moment, last year I remember we were having a bonfire in our backyard, just us as a family. And our kids spontaneously launched into an affirmation conversation. And I can tell you as a dad, listening to them sharing appreciations, just little comments about what they appreciated about each other was heartwarming, and I know that it meant so much for each of them. Serving is the price of a healthy sibling relationship. Let's look at another one. Forgive. To be healthy requires forgiveness. Without it, 
anger, bitterness, hate, revenge, and the list goes on and on, will set in. And they will do more damage to you than they will to your sibling. Now I understand that speaking of forgiveness here, we are talking about, for many of you, we're talking about things much bigger than that your sibling didn't pass the milk at the dinner table or breakfast table. For some of you, the most destructive person in your life was a sibling. From violence to being cheated financially, constantly manipulated, deception, being bullied, belittled, even extremes like incest. The person guilty was a brother or a sister. So forgiveness in these situations and in these kind of environments is going to be extremely difficult because this person should have had your back. This person should have looked out for you and instead they misuse their, your trust and they misuse their role in your life and hurt you tremendously. So let's clarify a few things about forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean that you will forget. It does not mean that you will be able to just move on as if nothing happened and you will not forget who did that to you. It also doesn't mean that you have to spend time with this person, even if they are family. Forgiveness does not require that you now again open yourself up to this person as you have done in the past. After you have forgiven, and this will be a long and difficult journey, you will need to set boundaries, both for yourself and for the role of the sibling in your life. And in some situation, it will be extremely beneficial for you to go and to receive trauma therapy and counseling in order to be healed completely. Forgiveness is never a free pass for the person to hurt you again. I spoke with a young lady once, and her brother was harassing her again. And they're adults now. Because she refused to meet with this brother, he's accused her, well, then you've never truly forgiven me. Because if you'd forgiven me, then all would be fine. So even as an adult, this brother was still trying to manipulate his sister in order to take advantage of her. Forgiveness does not mean that you allow the person to hurt you over and over. This is maybe taking it a little bit out of context, but we know that the Bible tells us that we are to forgive 70 times 7. But I also remember Jesus telling his disciples, shake the dust off your feet, your sandals, and move on. And for some of you, you have forgiven the only way that you will find full healing is to move on. Because being with that person causes you to be hurt again and again. If you have not forgiven your sibling, you can do this without them being with you. God will be your witness. And if you want others to sit with you as you do, we as pastors would love to sit with you. But I want to encourage you 
If you've never forgiven your sibling for what they've done to you, I would encourage you to do that today. And then lastly, a healthy relationship, a healthy sibling relationship, requires that Jesus is at the center. Jesus is key to the relationship. The conflict between Martha and Mary isn't the only time that we hear about these two siblings or these sisters or this family. The two of them suffer one of the greatest tragedies in their life. Lazarus passes away. Jesus shows up four days after. And you've read the story where both Martha and Mary run out to Jesus. And they're like, if you had been here, this would not have happened. Jesus asks to show, for them to show him where he was, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And when Jesus arrived in their area sometime later, the family held an appreciation meal for Jesus. So let's read that in John chapter 12. There are different accounts of this story, so we'll look at the one in John's version. John chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Check this out. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And there it is. Martha served, Mary worshipped, and Lazarus was very much alive. Siblings working together. A far cry from the first time that we meet them. The family has learned to place Jesus at the center of their lives, to recognize that each person will follow and worship and serve and, 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 and uh, engage with Jesus in their own unique way. Nothing will promote the best character of your family like putting Jesus at the center of it. But I want to be careful. Placing Jesus at the center of your family is not a magic cure that will resolve all of the conflicts and all of the tensions. Someone's little one. <laughs> so if we place Jesus at the center of our lives, that doesn't mean that we um, are not needing to still work through some of the tensions that we have in our lives. And I don't want anyone to hear me say, well, if you have Jesus at the center of your family, then all the problems will be resolved. Everything will work automatically. But there is something beautiful about placing Jesus at the center of our lives. And when we do that, we have a common ground from which to start. So I trust that this morning, as you consider your siblings and as you consider your family relationships, that you would take some of the steps that we've talked today about today to help you to resolve tensions or to prevent them as you continue to grow as a family. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I pray that out of each of our families that a sweet, powerful, bold 
fragrance will fill our home. And that it will spill out of our home into the lives of others. Lord, I pray that there would be peace, that there would be joy, and that there would be laughter in the homes that are represented here. May there be trust, and may there be confidence in one another. Lord, we pray that you would bring healing to the pain, that you would bring restoration to the chaos, and that you would help to bring closure to the past. Jesus, I commit these families, these sibling relationships to you. And Lord, I pray that as they go from here, especially those who have deeply wounded relationships, that you would bring healing to each one, to each person. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. Shepherd is whose goodness faileth never.